Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a spicy show for you here today because this is going to be a fun one. It all starts at the very top with Draft Buzz. Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, and I talk about some guys we've studied lately. We're going to break down some film on this safety class as well. And we have one of my favorite discussions that we do every year here on this show. Right around this time, we're going to talk about some guys who are going to be day two or day three picks that remind us of guys that are reported, rumored, to go on day one. So we'll do all that in draft buzz. After that, we've got on the clock where the three of us stick around. We're going to put our GM hats on and pick for three random teams. So if you're a fan of the Cowboys, the Cardinals, the Packers, well, this is your week because the randomizer picked those three squads uh, and me and the guys are going to just try and play matchmaker for those teams during different parts of the draft. And then speaking of matchmaker, on the blueprint this week, we're going to welcome in a guy that is going to do just that for the Miami Dolphins because I'm going to bring on uh, my friend Alan Pupar who has covered the Miami Dolphins for a long, long time. And Alan is going to jump into the show to talk about the Dolphins and the kinds of players that they like most in the NFL draft. Who they're going to like more? Devontae Smith from Alabama, Jamar Chase from LSU. I know a lot of fan bases that are wondering that same question. We'll get into that uh, right there in that part of the show. Then we'll wrap things up with our draft mailbag. We've got a question from one of our listeners that spurs a really interesting debate, ironically enough, about the wide receiver value in this draft. We're going to wrap the show up with that one. Now, before we get started with the show, just a quick reminder to jump onto our Apple Podcast page and do us that great favor of leaving us a rating, leave us a comment, whether it's a question about the process if you've got a question about a specific player, you've got a mock draft, you've got player rankings you want us to sort through, really whatever it is, jump on over to our Apple Podcast page, our Stitcher page, really wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a rating, leave a review. It helps throw us some support, makes the show more visible to others that are looking for NFL draft content on their podcast platform. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that lately. That being said, let's get this show rolling. It's time now to welcome in Ben and Dane. It's Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, let's get down to business here as I welcome in my friends Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. Guys, uh, we're going to talk through the safety class. It's going to be a, a fun group here to, to break down. But before we get there, I just had a quick question for you guys. It's kind of a, an interesting discussion that we have almost on a yearly basis here uh, on this show. And, and safeties are typically a position that everyone would say, oh, you know, you can wait to take a safety. There's guys on day three, they're going to start. And to a certain extent, that's true. You can get starting safeties, uh, you know, mid rounds, late rounds of the draft. But that being said, there are still going to be guys that go up high in the draft. So I want to ask you this question. And this does not have to be about safeties. It could be about any position on the board. Uh, are there some players that you look at as, you know, maybe late day two or day three type prospects that kind of remind you and check some of the same boxes that some players that are getting that you know first round or top 50 uh, type buzz. I feel like last year, one good example of that uh, was Isaiah Simmons coming out of Clemson and Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois. Now, Jeremy Chin ends up going, uh, what was that, early round three, uh, you know, not day three, but I, I think that's a, kind of an interesting discussion to have is who are the guys that kind of check some of those same boxes that you could get a little bit later in the draft. I'll kind of kick, kick things off here just to kind of get the ball rolling. To me, a good example of this, would be Wake Forest defensive end Carlos Basham, a guy that I think you know most of us assume that he's going to go, if not first round, he's going to go top 50, uh, checks a lot of boxes with his size and his power and his effort, his play strength, his versatility. Look at Chauncey Golson down at Iowa. 
I think he does a lot of those same things, right? I mean, he's a similar kind of frame kid, high motor, relentless play style, has that power, has that ability to kick inside. So you look at Carlos Basham, Chauncey Golson, maybe not too many, uh, you know, too many differences there in terms of the way they play, Ben. Uh, who would be one, one example for you here? Well, you know how much I love this conversation every year because weighing the positional depth and forecasting later in the draft is a big part of making selections. And whether you can find comparable talent in later rounds is the cat and mouse of it all. We all know about Elijah Vera Tucker, USC tackle, probably going to play guard, one of the best zone blocking guards, absolute sniper on the second level. But not a lot of people know about Illinois guard Kendra Green. Well, I think has some of the best quickness off the ball, similar you know, type of guard. I want him in a zone scheme, whether inside zone, you know, outside zone stretch, really good quickness. He get up on the second level. He was a first team all Big Ten player at Wyatt Davis. Just didn't get the same type of recognition, obviously playing for the University of Illinois uh, and Wyatt Davis, Ohio State. But Vera Tucker, you don't get him in round one, come back and get Kendra Green in maybe round three or four. I like it. I like it. And I know this is a guy that, uh, Dane, I know you've done uh, Kendrick Green. Yeah. Uh, let's go to your uh, your first one here. Yeah, I love Green. He's a really good player. Um, I'm going to say on the offensive line, um, Tevin Jenkins, a uh, player that's easy to like just because he's so unique with his power and the way he can control uh, defenders. Uh, a guy on day three, and this is even later, probably, you know, I don't know, fifth, sixth round maybe, uh, Larry Borum out of Missouri. Uh, a guy who was a fixture at right tackle for the Tigers. He's, he's a massive blocker. Uh, he, he, he has that mean streak in him where, you know, he can use his, his power and uh, just lock guys down. Uh, hands are heavy. His anchor is strong. And I think he has just enough athleticism to, uh, to, to be at the next level. So um, if you don't get Tevin Jenkins in the first round, I think if you're looking for a similar style blocker who obviously isn't on the same level as Tevin Jenkins, you know, he's more of a, a sixth offensive lineman. Uh, Larry Borum could be in that, that similar style. Yeah, it's a great pick, Dane, because he's another guy that I think can play up and down the line, might project a little bit better to guard. Mm -hmm. In 19, at a start at left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. So a guy who certainly has that experience. He could kind of envision playing anywhere. He has that type of frame. All right, well, let's, I'll take us uh, to the running back position here. And one example for me would be uh, Travis Etienne, one of the better big play threats, uh, regardless of position in this draft. And uh, let's go to a guy that I feel like people are kind of forgetting about. And this was one of the big names in the running back position coming into the year, and that's Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State. He gets dinged up this year. Uh, you know, obviously did not have the level of production that we had seen from him down at Oklahoma State over the previous two seasons. Uh, but Hubbard has outstanding speed and, and might run better uh, than Etienne, who a lot of people you know, think is one of the you know, more explosive players in this class. I think you look at Hubbard, he's going to probably go on day three and you would argue that he does a lot of the same things that ETN does. So I, I think that's kind of an interesting, Hey, if you don't get ETN, you know, whether if you don't believe in taking a, a back that high, or if you just miss out on him, uh, you can, you could do worse than getting Chuba Hubbard a little bit later. Yeah. That's a really good pick right there. I feel like a lot of people are forgetting about Hubbard and no it's obviously his home run speed, his track ability, his good size, his production. I'm going to go on to the defensive side of the ball, two safety pairs, which I think are kind of interesting. We know about Hamza Nazar Ladin, tall, rangy safety out of Florida state. 
But Trill Williams really looks a lot like him with those long limbs and skinny profile, plays in the slot, plays in the box, tough kid, turnover machine, and kind of a different profile of a nickel safety. We all know about Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, his versatile skill set at 6'1", 215, 220. If you don't get him in round one, come back on day three, and I think that's where Jacoby Stevens is going to fall. Not nearly as athletic, not nearly as explosive. I got news for you guys. Nobody really is compared to, you know, uh, JOK. But Jacoby Stevens, as far as usage, versatility, general athleticism, very similar type of players that can play all over the defense. So I think he's a really interesting kind of chess piece that's going to be used in a similar mold. Now, I think Owusu Koromoa, obviously, freak show speed and athleticism. That's why he's going, you know, top 30. But Jacoby Stevens, really good player, in my opinion. Yeah, then Stevens plays better through contact, playing in traffic a little bit better, in my opinion, too. And a little uh, more size, probably pushing yep. 230, while, you know, uh, JOK is probably right around 215. Dane, uh, round us out here. What's your last one? Uh, all right, so I couldn't decide which one I was going to go with. I'm just going to do both of them. Uh, at corner, uh, Caleb Farley, uh, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds, uh, a speedster. Uh, if you don't get him in the top 10, top 12, then in third or fourth round, Robert Rochelle, Central Arkansas. Um, another guy who, you know, Caleb Farley, quarterback in high school, moves to wide receiver at Virginia Tech, then moves to corner. Robert Rochelle, former wide receiver, making the move uh, to, to corner a, you know, lean frame. The technique needs work. Uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that needs cleaned up, but the athleticism, the speed, the length, I mean, that, that's what you're looking for. That's what you want. And so, um, you know, if you can't get Caleb Farley early and you're still looking for that style of player, I think uh, uh, Rochelle in a third or fourth would make sense. And then at wide receiver, uh, you know, the undersized receiver, you don't get too, too out. Well, what about Jalen Darden uh, later on in the draft? Uh, uh, ben, I know you looked at Darden. You, you liked him as well as a, you know, a day three type of target. Uh, he's vastly undersized, you know, and that limits his catch radius and what he's going to do in traffic and things like that. But when you have that type of speed and you, you're that type of electric playmaker and you can get open and create after the catch, uh, you know, you can find a role, uh, you know, some special teams experience as well. So you miss out on Tutu Atwell on day two, uh, a player that's probably not going to cost you very, you know, it's not going to be expensive, you know, probably somewhere in the later rounds. Jalen Darden uh, would be a nice pickup. Well, that was a perfect transition into our next category here. We're going to go through our film room recap, just a player that we've studied. And Ben, I know that you wanted to do Jalen Darden, so just take us right in. Well, what did you see from Darden on film? Yeah, let's cover the mean green receiver down there at North Texas, Jalen Darden. It's a kind of an undersized guy at 5'9", 175 pounds, but Dean you know, was saying shifty, explosive, quick in and out of breaks, and he's got the long home run speed. Really loose, creative yards after catch. He's a dynamic athlete in space, knows how to kind of beat people in a phone booth. He's a vertical threat from the slot. I mean, the last two seasons, second most yak, second most receiving touchdowns. Only two, our Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. Pretty good company. Now, Dane threw out there, you know, Jakeem Grant style of player. I love that kind of comp and projection, the way he settled in to the Miami Dolphins coming out of Texas Tech, if I'm not mistaken. I had initially written down Eddie Royal who's that kind of slot, tough guy that can win, you know, down the field, quick game stuff, returner. Long story short, he's probably going to go on day three because of how deep this receiver group is. But if you don't get one of those dynamic slot players early, just like Dane said, whether it's Tutu or whether it's, you know, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, one of those guys, I think Darden's going to be one of those first picks off the board in round four. 
All right. So uh, I have not done Darden yet. And he is one of the, you know, it will go from like a guy who's a, a deep sleeper a little bit to one of the bigger names in this class. And I just got to the film of Amon Ross St. Brown from USC. And I watched him on Friday. Guys, he's he's really, really good. And I know it's not breaking news to you guys because uh, you guys have studied him. This is my first look at him. And he checks so many boxes for me. He's a little bit, you know, we'll see what he comes in at uh, from a size standpoint. He's listed 6'1", 195. My guess is he's not quite up to 6'1", but you're talking about a young receiver. He's going to be a 21-year-old rookie. He's an outstanding athlete. He gets the top speed really quick. He's a really easy mover. He snaps off breaks. He can run speed cuts. He can separate. There's no question about that. But then also, he's run routes from everywhere on the field. You go back to his uh, to his sophomore season in, 19, in 2019. You watch this year. He played more of the Michael Pittman role this year where he was to the far left of the formation outside the numbers. But you watch him winning from the slot from both sides. You can watch him from the backfield, and you can see all the different ways they were able to use him. His versatility, his ability to go up and win, his ability to win at the top of the route, after the catch, he's really good. Outstanding leaping grabs at all three levels of the field. He's really crafty getting off the line. He could beat the jam. He just checks a lot of boxes. And, and I was you know, sitting there after watching him. I'm like, who are some players that he kind of reminds me of? And the one name that I wrote down was Tyler Lockett. I feel like he's kind of, maybe we'll see what, the, again, we'll see what the measurements are. Lockett came in a little bit smaller and he ran, I think, like low 4-4. So we'll see um, you know, if he able, is able to match that. The one area that Lockett, I feel like, has a little bit of the edge, and Ben, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here if you disagree, Lockett was so great. We talked about this all the time watching the Seahawks. He's so great through contact in every phase. He can get off the jam. He can win at the top of the route uh, with play strength and then through contact at the catch point. I don't know that St. Brown is quite to that level in terms of his play strength, but across the board, I mean, again, he checks a lot of boxes. I'm going to St. Brown, one of the best receivers in this draft. I don't think he's quite to that level, but I think he's going to have a little bit more size and length to him than Tyler Lockett. Yep. And the one thing I hang my hat on with his report, as diverse receiver production as I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Whether that's inside, outside, t- tight splits, plus splits in the backfield, gadget stuff, quick game, middle of the field, vertical stuff, winning at the catch point in the red zone. I've kind of been saying it for a few months now. These are all the things Tyler Boyd did at Pitt. Mm. And when he, you know, you look at his usage with the Cincinnati Bengals, there's a lot of people in the Cincinnati community that want him used more and not just be this slot receiver and this kind of third down chain mover. He could do so much more. So Amonra St. Brown, I think, has a lot of good football ahead of him. And the other thing, great kid off the field, great family off the field, brother of Equinemius with the Packers, older brother of Osiris at Stanford. We'll be talking about him in a year or two. Yep. The one one of the few concerns I've heard with uh, uh, St. Brown from scouts is, this guy was so polished early on and, you know, uh, not only with his game, but his body and the way he takes care of himself, just, you know, the way they were raised in that family, uh, that they were worried that, you know, he might be at or near a ceiling already. Yeah. As he maxed like, out. Yep. Right. What you see. And, and that's not necessarily a, 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 a true negative because the player you have right now is a really good player. Yep. Uh, but how much better can he get? Even though he is still 21 years old and a young player, you know, he, he just, it, he reached his ceiling a lot quicker than we see a lot of receivers do because of the way he was brought up. And so that's, that's something where when you try to stack these receivers and it's just so tough, there's so many different talented receivers in, you know, the first three rounds, that is something that, you know, could be, uh, you know, something that teams will use. It's, it's a really interesting 
uh, you know, piece to his puzzle to to figure him out. And uh, I'm interested to use the Tyler Lockett comparison because I I don't know I, I didn't see a low four force type of speed guy. I, I saw a guy that's you know plenty athletic, but I didn't see a guy that was necessarily going to strike fear in, you know, the, the mind of defenses with his pure speed. Yeah. He's definitely quicker than fast, but what stood out to me is that I thought that he got to top speed really quickly and was able to try and get on top of corners fast and kind of put some stress on them vertically. And that's kind of how Lockett is. I don't know that Lockett is viewed as like this pure deep threat either, um, but he's got that instant speed where he can threaten people and then try and put them in stressful spots and, uh, and then do some damage. Uh, Dane, who was yours here? So I went with Robert Jones, uh, Middle Tennessee, um, who was Senior Bowl guy. Um, I, you know, I I admit I when I initially watched his tape, I was not blown away. Uh, you know, going into the Senior Bowl, I thought he was solid but unspectacular. Um, and then I watched the second half of the season, and all of a sudden I sat up in my seat and okay, this guy is pretty good. Uh, and you know, talking to a scout about it, you know, he mentioned how you have to take into account this year with COVID how that is affecting some of the bigger guys, some of the linemen, Hmm. um, you know, not being maybe on campus uh, for regular conditioning and um, you know, COVID affects is is obviously affecting everybody uh, in all walks of life and all aspects of football, but especially the bigger guys, especially the linemen. And uh, Robert Jones had, he also had a shoulder. uh, He had off season surgery with a shoulder. He had a bruised foot. So was dealing with different things than the off season. I think we saw that trickle into the beginning of the year, but you watch his second half film, you know, last few games of the year, I I thought he looked, uh, you know, much, much improved, a lot looser in his movements, a lot more controlled. So, and and he's got a really interesting background because he was a, he grew up wanting to be Derek Rose, Michael Jordan in Chicago. Uh, The football coaches uh, said, you know, come out the football. He played eight games of varsity football uh, in high school. Uh, Then he goes to Juco plays 13 games and he goes to middle Tennessee and he was a two-year starter at right tackle. So I think he's a guard at the next level, uh, but you, uh, the violent hands and natural strength, he, he has the right temperament. Um, I, I think he, you know, there's some things he needs to clean up with his lunging and, uh, you know, just requires some more development. But Robert Jones is a really interesting day three developmental guard who I, I think is a little bit better than I initially gave him credit for. Interesting. He's a guy that I, I still have to do a little bit more work on. I did a little bit before the senior ball. I'm kind of like where you were uh, before this final watch. So I'll, I'll make another run. Uh, Don't be afraid Robert to dip Jones. back into that 2019 tape. He played Iowa, Duke, Michigan, Western Kentucky with D'Angelo Malone. So a lot of, you know, premier mm-hmm. talent in 2019. Interesting. I like it. All right. Well, guys, let's get into our uh, our safety preview here. And uh, as we do, we usually have a, a few different categories. And I kind of split this up where We'll talk about some traits and offer some options day one, day two, and day three. So, Dane, uh, we're going to start things off with the most instinctive safety, and I'll I'll let you pick um, from day one or day two. Who's the guy that stands out to you in terms of his instincts and play recognition skills? Uh, You know, I think I'm going to go with Richie Grant here. Um, uh, A player who I think we all like. We all uh, appreciate what he brings to the field, and I don't think he gets enough credit for – necessarily how he sees the field. Um, you know, he, he covers a lot of ground. We know he has the range, but a big reason why he does that is because he, he recognizes things quickly. Um, and, you know, I think he, he plays with urgency. He trusts what he sees and he goes, uh, he doesn't waste time. So uh, I gave Richie Grant the edge here. 
Yeah, I would have taken uh, Richie Grant with my pick if you did not select him. But since uh, you did select him, I will go with uh, Trevon Merrick from TCU, a, a player that a lot of people feel could go in the first round of this draft. 6'2", just over 200 pounds. Uh, won the Jim Thorpe Award as the number one defensive back in the country this year. It's a college football award. But looking at his overall body of work, this is a guy that can play in the post. He can get over top and make plays. What really stands out to me is his route recognition skills, both from zone and man. I thought that he did a good job of reading the quarterback from depth. He broke on throws early, and then he showed the ability to mirror and match versus receivers in man-to-man coverage as well. Uh, So this is a competent man coverage player, a competent zone coverage player, uh, his play recognition skills, and then also his range, his athleticism uh, really kind of give me a a lot of faith that he's going to reach his ceiling as a a good free safety in the NFL. Uh, Ben, take us through uh, day three. Who's a day three guy with, uh, with those instincts we want to talk about? You know, I got to say, I'm not sure if you guys had, uh, you know, a similar type of issue with slotting these guys and just trying to determine safety, nickel player, big nickel, sub package player. I'm kind of lumping in all these middle of the field defenders. It's a big safety world or excuse me, a big nickel world out there playing three safeties. So that's how I'm projecting a lot of these nickels. But anyways, day three player instinct safety. I love Damar Hamlin from Pitt. Yeah. The guy with 2,500 snaps, former number three corner uh, in the class way back when. I think 2016, he's been on campus for five, six years, but experienced player that's converted to safety. Listen, he has some athletic limitations. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the sharpest guy. You know, I was being quick footed, but I feel like he gets himself in positions with his uh, anticipation of routes, anticipation of run action. Just seems like he's always a step ahead of the offense that puts him in position to make plays. So, guy's experience and you know he's probably one of these guys that are going to fill in the back end of somebody's roster and be a really good solid pro for somebody he uh i just actually wrapped him up last thursday and just grows on you the more you watch just a really competitive instinctive player checks a lot of boxes like you said uh let's go to the next category here best coverage player so Left it a little bit open-ended here, but best overall coverage player. I'm going to go uh, first here with a day one or day two pick, and I'm going to go with Oregon safety Javon Holland, who was an absolute ball hawk whenever he's been on the field for Oregon. Uh, I believe he was the only player in the country to have at least four picks, both in 2018 as a true freshman and in 2019 as a sophomore. He opted out this past fall, so uh, did not play. But this is a guy who played mostly in the slot, and showed that man-to-man coverage ability, but also the same instincts from zone that I talked about uh, with Merrick. I just think Holland's ball skills. For a safety, he has got rare, unique ball skills. He's a fun player to watch, uh, a guy that can make plays at all three levels of the field, uh, and not bad against the run either, but in terms of his ability to play in coverage, uh, I think he gives you the most versatility because not only do I think he can play deep, but I think he also offers legitimate value playing over the slot, playing over the tight end as well. Uh, His versatility, I think, will really serve him well. Ben, uh, who would be your pick here for day one or day two? Well, I hate to double dip already on only the second superlative here, but coverage is that man coverage underneath zone coverage, yep. matchup, red zone, back end, playing the post. I got a guy that checks all those boxes and that's dipping right back to Richie Grant from UCF, who I think can come down and guard tight ends. He guards slots and man coverage. Excellent on the back end. I think he has really loose hips and great eyes to play either half field or play in the post as a single high safety. Mm. He checks all the coverage boxes, in my opinion. Just a matter of what scheme, what fit, what are you going to have him play on a down-to-down basis. But instincts, checking boxes, coverage skills, checking boxes, tough player, checking boxes. Richie Grant is a really good safety prospect. I love it. Well, Dane, let's go with yours. Day three guy, the uh, best coverage player. 
I'm going to go Jamar Johnson. Ooh, um, good one. Uh, yeah, a, a player that I think we all like. Um, you know, rangy, smooth movement skills. And uh, he makes sure he he makes the offense pay for mistakes. Uh, he's got 13 interceptions the last four years. And that's going – and so I went – he only played three years at Indiana. I'm going back to his senior year of high school. Okay. Add in what he did there. Um, so, you know, a, a guy that this past year, Indiana only played eight games. He still had four interceptions. So, uh, you know, and, and he can do something after the after the interception. He had one pick six this year. He averaged almost 25 yards per uh, interception return. So the, he's got that versatile experience across the, the secondary. He'll play that that Husky position they have. He'll play free safety. Uh, he'll play a slot corner. So I, I think he's an instinctive pattern reader. I, I think he's got the movement skills, and then he's got the finishing skills uh, when, when the ball's in his orbit. So uh, Johnson's my pick there. How did you guys, I've, I've wrapped up Johnson late last week. How did you guys feel about his ability to be a true three down player in the NFL? Do you feel like uh, that's a, a ceiling that he can achieve? How long would it take him to get there? Dane, did you, did you kind of have a feeling on uh, how you viewed his overall ceiling moving forward? I think he can get there. Um, I, he, when he wants to be physical, he can get physical. Yeah. But he's way too choosy uh, as a tackler. Uh, he'll make business decisions. Uh, his run fits are inconsistent. Um, sometimes he just looks disinterested. So it just needs, I need to see, uh, uh, more disciplined tendencies, especially in the run game. Uh, I know what he can do in coverage, but I just need to see more consistency from him. But I mean, again, this is why we're talking about him as a day yep. three player and not necessarily a day one or day two guy. Yeah, you could see some of that toughness last year when he played more in the slot type to the formation, yeah. he blitzed here and there, uh, in 2020 he's much more of a back end player, but remind me a lot of Desmond King. That style player that may not wow you with athleticism, but he's fairly tough. He's versatile. He's a guy that I think doesn't need to come off the field, uh, whether you're going to play him in the post or down in the slot. I think he's going to be a really good football player. Yeah, I think he was still adjusting to playing from further depth uh, this year. I thought his uh, key and diagnose was just a little bit slow. I, he kind of got held up on play action and, and any kind of anything going on uh, in the backfield, but he can make a play on the ball. No question about it. Uh, let's go to our best run defender. Ben, I'll let you kick things off. A, a guy that's a first or a second or day of day one or day two talent. Uh, who do you like here in terms of run defense? Well, that's the key word right there, Fran. He's a day one or day two talent. I just don't know if he's going to go on day one or day two. And because he's such a good run defender, that's why his body's so beat up. Broken collarbone, shoulder surgery, back injuries. And that's Talanoa Hufanga at USC, which anytime he's on the field, you see that 6'1", 215-pound frame flying around the field, just finishing ball carriers in the run, on the perimeter, shallow crosses. He's got ball skills. He's an excellent box safety. Probably going to be a sub linebacker at the next level if you know the medicals all check and he gets mm-hmm. there. But um, because he's such a good run defender, he's taken some wear and tear, and that's the big question with his report: is what are the medicals when he's on the field? The tape, I think it's pretty damn good. So uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be. I'll stay at a Holiday Inn Express maybe next week and let you know about it. But um, Hufanga, really good run defender. Where are you going next week? Yeah, <laughs> next week. <laughs> Dane, oh Dane, who do you got? I'm going to go with Hamsun Nasruddin, um, who's, nice. yep. you know, that that linebacker safety tweener, uh, hybrid box safety, whatever you want to call him, whatever, you know, role you think is ideal for him. Uh, the the Florida State coaches call him a war daddy. Uh, you know, they they really like what he brings to the field from a physical and attitude standpoint. He led the team in tackles as a sophomore and a junior. Uh, he was ready to bolt after his junior year before that knee injury happened. Uh, we only saw him two games this past year. 
But when he was healthy, you know, you see form tackles uh, when he squares up his, his target. You see a, a downhill player who fills quickly and powerful at contact. Uh, he, he can force the, the ball loose. He had three forced fumbles in 2019. So this is a super long downhill force player uh, with the moldable physical traits that you're looking for in that type of role. Guys, what have you heard about where he's going in this draft? Have you guys heard anything in terms of how scouts are viewing him at this point? Obviously, there's a lot that needs still needs to happen. But, Dane, I'll start with you. Have you heard anything? And then, Ben, you can follow up if you've got anything. I mean, I, when I did um, mapping out my top 100, I sent it around um, to different scouts just to get some feedback, what they think. And I think I had Nasrul Dean, like, at, I don't know, seventy early 70s maybe. So, mm-hmm. was that early third round? And yep. That's that they told me that's right around where they saw him. Um, you know, they, they didn't, that's not something that they, they quibbled over. Um, and that, you know, part of that's coming off the knee injury, you know, hopefully the medicals are clean, uh, you know, with him, um, you know, it, we, we, we hope to see Najel Dean a lot quicker than we did this past year. Um, you know, I know that it's complicated when you're talking about knee injuries. So hopefully yep. that the, the medicals are clean, but I, I still think he's a day two player. Uh, I I think the talent uh, is really really good. Ben, have you heard anything? Uh, you know, one way or the other? No, not particularly. I wasn't too inspired with his performance down at the Senior Bowl, um, but I think he has good tape when he's on the field. He's kind of straddling that day two, day three range for me, being around three, around four. So a team can covet him and think they're getting a steal, uh, maybe in round three, and he could be one of the early day three darlings. For all I know, I think there's a lot of mid round guys that are kind of clumped up here, which makes the projections and a lot of your mock drafts uh, pretty Swiss cheese. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy I feel as a as a day one talent, but the injury I think kind of uh, meshes with things a little bit. That's why I was interested to, to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, I'm going to go with Jamie and Sherwood here as a day three player. Um, you know, you look at Auburn, 6'2", 220 pounds, kind of similar to Nazaruddin in terms of uh, just a, a big height, weight, speed athlete. Uh, you know, you look at the way that he kind of moves on the field. Impressive player, just very unproductive in coverage. Um, his only interception in his career came last year as a, as a, uh, as a sophomore. Uh, just has not been super productive on the football. That being said, he's been a core special teams player. He's a good run defender. I feel like he's going to find a role as a, uh, as a backup safety in the NFL and probably more you know, in terms of that, that run stuffing mentality. Uh, but I, I love his ability to come downhill and play through contact. He really, really stood out to me in that arena. Uh, let's go to our next uh, superlative here. Let's go best big play threat. So the guy that can, uh, that can create some big plays for you, Dane, I'll let you uh, kick things off here. Well, a guy that you already mentioned, uh, Javon Holland, uh, yeah. and for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned, uh, we only we've only saw him two years at the college level. He opted out this past year, but as a freshman and sophomore, combined for nine interceptions, uh, the the first player since uh, Jarius Bird uh, to lead Oregon in interceptions in back to back years. So you know, with his key and diagnose skills, uh, with his versatility to line up in different alignments. Uh, the athlete that he is, and then what he can do uh, when when the football is near him. I mean, he can create. So uh, a, a guy that uh, can do a lot of things for you uh, in terms of being disruptive and, and creating those turnovers you're looking for. Uh, I'm going to go with another guy who's been a turnover machine over the course of his career, and that's Syracuse safety Andre Cisco. Uh, whether or not he goes on day two, I think is still up for debate uh, because while he can create some big plays for you, He'll also allow some big plays, you know, whether it's missed tackles or just uh, being a very reactive player in the secondary. I feel like, uh, you know, good quarterbacks, good offensive schemes will be able to take advantage of him and, uh, you know, just, you know, be able to move him off his spot and then attack the void down the field. Uh, He'll give up some big plays. That being said, he plays the ball really, really well in the air. He is a fluid athlete. He's got great sideline to sideline range. 
he is coming off a torn ACL. He tore his ACL last, uh, what was it, October. So um, this is a guy that's going to you know need a little bit of time to rehab, but uh, a, a turnover machine for sure on the back end. Ben, uh, who would be yours on day three to highlight? Well, I'll stick right there with the orange and uh, stay with Trill Williams, the nickel safety player, former corner. This guy's similar to Andre Cisco in that he's going to make some big plays for you and break your heart on some other plays or miss some tackles or have some eye violations. But he has four interceptions, four forced fumbles in his short two and a half year career. Is a guy that gets the ball back for the offense, just like Cisco. He's a tall, long, rangy player. He plays with this my ball approach, which you see it out there. But he's a bit of a gambler, a bit of, you know, an undisciplined player. I think he has still some developmental, you know, uh, ways to go in converting to a middle of the field player as opposed to being a former corner. But he's 6'2", 195 pounds. He's tall. He's long. He's a good looking player. So let's get to our, our next uh, superlative here. And, and that's a guy that we feel that you are higher on than most. And, I, and I'll start things off. I'm going to go with Texas safety, Caden Stearns, a guy that was kind of put into the national spotlight uh, as a freshman. He had a huge uh, year back in 2018, was first team all conference, had four picks. Then he gets hurt in 2019. Only, you know, he was never really full strength and uh, came back this year. It was had a solid season. It wasn't a great season from a production standpoint, but watching the film, I just thought he was a really reliable player. You know, he's six foot. He's over 200 pounds. Uh, he had a couple of missed tackles, but a lot of the missed tackles were kind of going sideline to sideline, attacking defenders uh, from the side uh, laterally, as opposed to coming downhill. I thought he ran the alley really well. I thought he filled the run game very well uh, in the tackle box. So I think when you look at overall his skill set, I think he projects pretty well as a free safety. He's not a guy that I want playing uh, in space over the over a slot receiver or even against an uber athletic tight end. Uh, but I thought he was really instinctive. I thought he was tough. And to me, like Ben, you and I have had this conversation off camera before the way that offenses are, are operating right now in the NFL with all the eye candy, with all the motion, with all the backfield action. I want my guys, especially right up the middle at linebacker and safety. Give me the player versus the prospect. Give me the guy who sees things quickly, uh, who, you know, his mind is going a million miles a minute and he's able to process what's happening in front of him. Maybe he's a step slow in terms of the 40 time and the, you know, and the jumps and everything but he sees things fast and he can get where he needs to be uh, a guy. I wrote down it like, like Jordan Fuller uh, for Ohio state last year. I wasn't a big fan of because there were athletic limitations, but you know, this is a guy that was a, a, a very experienced player, battle tested, instinctive. He's tough. He's competitive. I kind of look at Caden Stearns uh, in a similar light. So uh, he would be a guy that I would say I'm a little bit higher on than most Ben. Uh, I'll come to you. Who's the guy that you feel that you're, uh, you're higher on than most. Yeah, and I just absolutely love that sentiment because we've seen a number of 4-4 players with no instincts, don't take proper angles, and you don't use that elite speed. So you have to be able to use that in combination with having that good first step and knowing what you're looking at. But I'm wondering if this kid out of, was it Sharifport? Yeah, Sharifport, Louisiana, a couple years ago. I wonder if he ended up going to LSU, if we'd be talking about him just a little bit differently. Mm. At the last second, he went to TCU. Who are we talking about? That's our Darius Washington. Very productive player. He's only a redshirt sophomore, only played two years, but he's a really interesting player. And everybody says the size, the size, the size. He's 5'8", 179 pounds. Listen, he doesn't have a lot of size. But he plays very, very strong. He is a feisty physical player. He packs a punch on contact, really good tackler, great range on the back end, knows how to read the quarterback's eyes, whether he's in the post or the half field, can come down and take away the nickel. Last year, he had five picks and two PBUs, was on the freak list this past year for all sorts of weightlifting metrics, squatting, benching, cleaning. Not sure if he has the long speed. 
but I think he plays much tougher than his frame would suggest. Reminds me a lot of maybe a Captain Munnerlyn style of role or maybe a Tim Jennings, but I just wonder if he was at LSU and won a national championship last year, would we be talking about him as maybe a top 50 consensus player? Mm. Um, similar player to maybe a Kerry Vincent, not without the track speed at LSU, but uh, Ardarius Washington is a really good player. Here, here my, I wrote down Tamonte Casey, and Casey was a really productive corner at San Diego State who made the move to safety nickel, and I feel like Washington just kind of ahead of where he's at. He's got great ball skills, and I agree uh, with the size the issues, but also the competitiveness and play speed. Uh, Dane, let's go real, to you. Real quick, would either yeah. of you feel comfortable drafting him top 100? Or do you think he's like an early day? Th- to me, I, 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 I grade him with a fourth-round grade. So I, yeah. I once we get to day three, I would feel comfortable drafting him uh, and overlooking the size and just, yeah, because every all the positives that you mentioned, but would either of you guys feel comfortable on day two? Yeah, my, my guess is my, I would feel a little bit more comfortable in, in terms of how I have him stacked, too. I would say he's probably more of an early day three guy. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, okay. Uh, for my guy that I feel like I'm a little bit higher on, uh, I went with uh, Richard LeCount from Georgia, who is kind of the forgotten safety in this group. Uh, got banged up towards the end of... Uh, last season, he was in a, a, a traffic accident. Uh, he was on a dirt bike and, uh, you know, did, as long as the medicals are okay, you know, which is kind of up in the air right now, he was able to get on the field, uh, in the bowl game, uh, for the last play, which kind of speaks to his, uh, you know, how much he means to that or meant to that defense and how much it meant to him to finish strong. Um, just, it, but in terms of him being fully healthy, we don't know all the details just yet. But when he's on the field, I mean, you see pursuit range, you see decisiveness, you you see him competing with this fearless mentality. Um, you know, he the play speed, the energy are outstanding. He could be inconsistent at times. There's no doubt. Uh, but I, he's got potential starting traits as that uh, that that nickel player, or maybe like an even like an undersized version of of a Marquise Blair. That that, that was the first name that. Uh, kind of came to my mind. So I LeCount's a guy who was productive in college. He had eight interceptions. Um, I, I think he's just kind of been forgotten because of the injury stuff. So we'll we'll wait and see what the, uh, you know, the verdict is on the medicals. But if he's healthy, if he's, you know, returns to, to form, I, I think he's got some starting potential. All right, let's, uh, let's kind of reach into our bag of tricks here. and Let's pick a, a sleeper, a guy on day three that uh, we feel has the ability to be a starter or an impact role player. Ben, I'll come to you first. Who's a sleeper? I'm going to go out there to the Mountain West where we don't talk nearly enough about because they put players in the NFL every year. Tariq Thompson, San Diego State, nickel slot defender, safety, four-year starter, 47 games played, 3,000 snaps. Listen to this production. 12 picks, 17 PBUs, seven forced fumbles, three penalties in 3,000 snaps as a middle-of-the-field player. That's absurd, in my opinion. Good special teams, first team all Mountain West. In fact, the first player in school history to get a postseason honor four years in a row. Hmm. He's a really good player, productive player, tough player that I'm not seeing any buzz on. I'm glad they at least got one of those uh, San Diego State players down to the Senior Bowl and Darren Hall. But uh, Tariq Thompson's a really good player in that secondary. Do not sleep on this kid. I think he's going to be a darling of the draft. And if he ends up going in a third or the fourth round, I'm telling you, a team saw his tape and fell in love with him. I was going to say that you you were really pounding the table for him to get that Senior Bowl invite. Uh, You were happy, though, that Darren Hall (laughs) at least uh, got the call up. Uh, Dane, let's come to you for your sleeper. I'm going with Christian Uphoff, uh, safety nice. at uh, Illinois State, who, you know, he, he's he got a little bit of that Nasruddin, uh size-wise. I mean, he is 
at, at the senior bowl, uh, he came in at what? Six, two and a half, 213 pounds. Uh, this is a big, big kid. And I, I'm told he's going to run in the four fives, uh, maybe even better. Like he's got that type of speed. So I think first off you're drafting him and feeling really good about what he's going to bring on special teams uh, from the get go. And then from there, you try to develop the rest. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, looks the part, he runs well, uh, the field, he's very field fast. Uh, he just, he needs to develop his, his, his keys, uh, you know, what he's seeing out there, his ball awareness, uh, just needs to come along. But again, we're talking about a late round pick that you're drafting play special teams and that you can maybe develop and get, get something else out of him besides just that. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, another guy who was down at the Senior Bowl. Actually, up off was down there. Uh, so was Sean Davis from Florida, and you know he's a he comes from the SEC. He's not going to be viewed as a sleeper, but a guy that we're not really discussing. And to me, I like him for a lot of the same reasons I like Stearns. He, he's not going to be this sexy four four athlete. He's not going to be a guy that uh, is going to burn up the track. But uh, you know when you watch him co- close distance, uh, whether he's you know playing sideline to sideline or running the alley, he gets from A to B as fast as he needs to, and he's a really reliable tackler. He could finish at the catch point. I wrote down Trey Boston, and I looked at Boston in kind of a similar way in that uh, you know wasn't a, a high round draft pick, but just a, a really reliable player who Carolina has not been able to unseat for years and years and years uh, as a starter. I kind of view Sean Davis as a similar kind of player. I'm, I'm sure he's going to go day three, and I'm sure he's probably going to find a role as a, as a if he's not a starter, uh, one of the top reserves uh, for a team's defensive back room at the free safety spot. Uh, last one, guys. Let's go to some, uh, let's do some player comps. Uh, Dane, uh, I'll come to you first. You kick us off here for a player comp. So I'm going to go with Trevon Merrick. And I'm going to compare him to Jesse Bates, uh, you know, coming out of Wake Forest, uh, you know, what he has brought to the Cincinnati Bengals as that tall, long ball hawking safety. Uh, you know, there might be a few things in, in run support. He, they, they both can get better at. But if you're looking for the guy with range, with true center field skills, uh, with a similar body type, similar athletic profile, I, there's a lot of similarities between Merrig and Jesse Bates and what they bring to the field. There are. I like that one. I'm going to go with a guy that uh, plays the, the opposite kind of role. I feel like Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech, uh, he is going to be doing the complete opposite of whatever Merrick's doing. Uh, keep him away from space. Let him get down uh, and play close to the line of scrimmage. That's where Diablo is. And maybe he's a linebacker when it's all said and done, but uh, a guy that has found a role as a backup box safety that I feel like uh, Diablo you know, kind of compares to from a size standpoint, Rayshon Jenkins. When he was coming out of Miami, he goes to the Chargers. Uh, he's been a backup. He's played a decent amount because of some of the injuries uh, they've had in that secondary. But Diablo and Jenkins, uh, I think, are very, very similar uh, in terms of their height, weight, speed element of their game. Ben, wrap us up here. What's the uh, the last player comp for us? Well, let's knock out both these UCF uh, safety nickel prospects and Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson. Mm-hmm. Richie Grant, I'm stealing it from you, Fran. Quandre Diggs, I think you said that in the fall. Absolutely love that. He's a missile in a linear fashion. He's tough. He could play high. He could play low. He can cover. And then Aaron Robinson reminds me a lot of Antrell Roll, especially his time with the Giants and the Cardinals, just maybe without the the rocked-up biceps that Roll had. But a versatile player that's good over the middle of the field, can take away the nickel, good blitzer, run support. Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, two really good players. And before we turn the page here, who didn't we cover? Who are the names left out Ooh. there and kind of just floating around? You know, maybe Paris Ford, Kerry Vincent. Do you guys include Elijah Molden in this conversation who has played some half field and has played some back end stuff? 
Obviously, we project him as a nickel player at the next level. Who are the uh, low-hanging fruit names that we didn't touch on? Well, we did, uh, we did mention Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, and I feel like at least two mm-hmm. of the three of us view him as a safety. Um, you know, Dana, I don't want to speak for you. I know Ben and I do, uh, but we didn't talk about JOK. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I I stay away from the is he a linebacker a safety argument because I I'm just I'm gonna he, he's a rover he's a you know he's you can use him in both spots depending on the personnel and the situation so I have no problem listing him as safety no problem list, listing as a linebacker um, that's fair the highest graded safety on my, in my rankings that we did not talk about was uh, Gillespie yep. out of Missouri yeah neither um, good call we didn't him so either yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Sean Wade, is he a safety, right, uh, yep. you know, another player. And then, uh, James Wiggins, who yes. I-, I considered instead of LeCount as another guy that with some injury issues, who's kind of being overlooked because of that, but still a really good player. And yeah, then two has a 19 Rose bowl MVP, Brady breeze. Where do you stack them up? Brady breeze. <laughs> he, he, did he opt out or was that Nick Pickett who opted out this year? That I can't keep up. I think they he opted did. out. Yeah. yeah okay. he, I think the entire secondary, except for Lenore, opted except out. for Lenore. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, an interesting situation there with the, with the Oregon DBs uh, in this draft. Well guys, uh, let's do a little bit of uh, picking here. Some little role play for the, some three uh, general managers. Let's go on the clock. On the clock. All right, well, let's get things going here. And what has now become one of uh, our listeners' favorite segments on a weekly basis. We're going to go on the clock and where we pick uh, three random teams. And, Dane, you're going to kick us off here. The randomizer uh, picked the Dallas Cowboys for you, which uh, you've you've done. Okay. You spent a lot of time covering the Cowboys uh, for years and years. So this should be interesting. You're going to be Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Will McClay here looking for a tight end mm-hmm. in round three. So I'll let you kind of lay out uh, what you're looking for. What are some of the specifics uh, that you want to lay out for me? Uh, I will play the role of scouting staff. Ben will play the role of the coaching staff. Dane, you, know, you can take it away here. Okay, so first and foremost, uh, I want someone that's going to impact our our team from day one. I'm not interested in uh, you know a guy that's going to uh, maybe one day be a starter for us. This is a win now team. Uh, you know, I want I want a, a guy that's going to be competing from the get go. Uh, I want a guy that can block, but more importantly, uh, is going to be a threat in the passing game uh, down the field. Um, we have a tight end depth chart right now with some solid options. Blake Jarwin's coming off the injury, a uh, strong player, especially in the red zone. Dalton Schultz, he's steadily gotten better. Uh, but I, can we find somebody in the third round who's going to be a potential upgrade there for us uh, than what we already have? So uh, I will play the role of the scouting staff here. And first of all, just looking at a valuation standpoint, uh, I, I think it'll probably be a pipe dream to expect that Brevin Jordan will be there. Uh, if he is, I feel like that's a slam dunk. He's the guy that can impact the passing game at an extremely high level. They are really only second to Kyle Pitts in this class. So if he's there, let's run the card in. But uh, outside of that, let's talk through two names. And I think it's really two names up for discussion here for, from my standpoint, it's Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame and it's Hunter long from Boston college with Tremble. I think, look, this is a team that prioritizes toughness with the way that we collect talent, uh, you know, with what they've done really since Will McClay has been instituted into his most recent role. Uh, we value toughness. We value versatility. Tommy Tremble has both of those in spades. The only thing is, He's a little bit more of a project. He's a younger player, less production. Uh, he is a good athlete. He can get up to the second and third level. He's a long strider in space, and he can make plays in the passing game. He just hasn't really done it. So there's a little bit more projection there with Tommy Tremble. With Hunter Long from Boston College, 
We've seen him do it over the last two years. He's been the leading receiver for two different schemes uh, up there at BC. This year, they opened it up. It was much more wide open, and he did a lot of different things in the passing game, whether it was catch and run stuff in the quick game, whether he was you know making plays in the intermediate area, even down the seam vertically, he was able to make plays on the football. And last year in 2019, he was an all-conference player, mainly because of his role as a blocker. So this is a guy that's got a versatile skill set for us. And oh, by the way, Coach, and I'm looking at you, Ben, uh, Mike McCarthy, I mean, look, you have a great relationship with Frank Signetti. He was your quarterback's coach uh, la- during your last year with the Packers. He is now Hunter Long's offensive coordinator. So we can get some good information. Maybe you can share some info uh, for us, but that, that would be a connection to look at. And then, by the way, uh, Dane, if we're going to wait till day three, two guys that's got Cowboys connections here. Tony Poljan, the tight end from Virginia, mm-hmm. he was free- previously at Central Michigan. That's where our quarterbacks coach, Doug Nussmeyer, was. He was there on staff when they recruited and played uh, Tony Poljan early in his career. Poljan was a quarterback. So, yeah, he, yes. he's got he's got intimate knowledge of being from that in that quarterback room. That would that would be a name to keep to consider, not for, day, for round three, but maybe we get into day three. And then you know how we love our Boise State guys. So, John Bates, uh, certainly in play for us. But I, I think, to me, Brevin Jordan's the pipe dream. Tommy Tremble and Hunter Long, those would be the two names I would submit here for us for round three. Well, here representing Mike McCarthy, I need to get more athletic at this position. I feel like Dallas tight ends have not had this athleticism at the Y or the U position. I'm looking for that Jermichael Finley back in my offense. I want a yak thread, a mismatch, a versatile blocker. I think Brevin Jordan would be ideal. But in round three, I'm just not sure we're going to get him. I had Hunter Long written down next. We went played too much 11 personnel last year, six most in the NFL. I want more two tight end sets. Want to know, Fran, your scouting report on a Trey McKitty. If you feel like in round three, is that too rich for a projected kind of uh, developmental upside guy? Me, me personally, I feel like that is a little bit too rich. And also going back to the Tommy Tremble thing, it's a lot of projection. We just haven't seen him do it. He's just been, uh, has not been super productive over the course of his career. I don't think Tremble's given us enough juice in the past game. That the roles he's going to occupy in our offense, I feel like we could get done with Blake Jarwin uh, and some of the lesser, you know, maybe uh, even a fullback convert to do some of that halfback stuff. I want yep. more of that, you know, you tight end playing in the wing with a little bit more of a vertical stretch and yak threat. So, you know, Brevin Jordan's good. I think Hunter Long might be the safest pick here uh, and may be able to carve out that true Y role and let us be a little, a little more 11 personnel with a pass catching tight end. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I, you guys sold me. Um, not on Hunter Long, but on Brevin Jordan, because you both <laughs> let off on him. So we're going to take a fifth round pick. We're trading up. We're 10 moving up. <laughs> it, it, we're, yeah, we're picking like 10th in the third round. So we're going to trade up to the first pick in the third round, snagging Brevin Jordan. And there's our <laughs> athletic tight end. Boom. Done. There we go. Perfect. All right. I like it. I like it. I'm Jerry. I can do what I want. Yeah, you do whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> we got a mortgage future picks. We're doing that. Um, all right, guys, let's go to the next one here. Ben, uh, just so happens that the randomizer picked a team that you have very intimate knowledge of, and that is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so you got the Green Bay Packers late day three middle linebacker. New defensive scheme here. So I'm interested to get your thoughts here. Uh, ben, uh, you as Brian Gutekunst, who are you looking for uh, as a middle linebacker on day three? Yeah, new defensive scheme with Joe Barry coming over. But I envision it's going to be similar structurally, zone coverage, conservative approach. Um, These inside linebackers, they're going to be early down players, and then you want to get them off the field as soon as possible. Get our sub-package nickel and dime out there. So I need guys with good lateral range, downhill trigger in the run game, good intelligence, quarterback of the defense. 
if we're investing on this, Mike, I need someone to be the quarterback, never come off the field. We have three different linebackers wear the green dot last year for a variety of reasons. I want more stability of that position. And the coverage instincts have to be better than the ability. So I need you to be aware against screens, against play action. We're not a matchup team. We're not going to have you outside the numbers against tight ends. We'll have Amos do that or one of our other sub-package safeties. You're not really a turn and run guy down the scene. So, you know, we want to get our safeties in those roles. So I need him just to be an aware player underneath, eyes on the quarterback, maybe a good blitzer, make more impact plays on the ball, finish ball carriers, get the ball back, give me a fumble or two. So I need a guy that's productive moving forward as opposed to moving back. All right. So uh, Dane is playing the role of the scouting staff here. You know, and a few names immediately popped uh, to my mind, you know, and, you know, looking at our board, uh, it may be a KJ Britt from Auburn. Uh, we're, t- we're talking late day three. So, you know, there, there's some, some flawed prospects in the group, uh, tough Borland, Ohio state, Riley Cole, South Alabama. But I tell you what, the, the name that really came to mind immediately, uh, you know, looking at this was Northwestern's Patty Fisher, uh, the instincts, the football IQ already on an NFL level. Uh, he's got quick eyes. He can play fast. Uh, he stays ahead of schedule. Uh, plays really physical at contact. And if you need proof, how about 11 forced fumbles uh, in his career? Uh, this guy was basically Pat Fitzgerald out there for the Wildcats. And so, you know, he doesn't have that twitch to turn and run, but he can sniff out underneath stuff. He'll have, or he had at least one interception each of his four years uh, in college. So uh, he's a Texas kid, but obviously played in Chicago in that cold and that wind for four years. So we know he's going to be fine in Lambeau. Uh, sixth round, seventh round. This is the type of player I think fits our culture and fits what we're looking for on defense. Uh, so me as the coaching staff, I do have a question uh, to our scouts. Uh, Dane, do you feel that KJ Britt could last that long? Do you feel like uh, he's a guy that is a, a Sherlock for late day three? I think so because he's he's specialized as a run defender. I you know I think he has a downhill thumper. He's he's a guy that's going to bring the juice, uh, but I don't. How many teams are willing to draft that in the first five rounds? I don't know. Those are going to be too many. Uh, so I think there's a good chance he'll still be available for us if we're talking sixth or seventh round. So to me, he was the first name I wanted to bring up. Number one, I, I think he checks a lot of the boxes that we're looking for, Ben. He, he's got a really quick trigger downhill. Um, really stood out to me in their biggest games. You know, when Auburn played LSU during their national ch- title game, you couldn't help but walk away thinking, man, like, who is this linebacker 33 in the middle of this Auburn defense? He's really, really fast at attacking downhill. He's got good play strength. He's a below average athlete, and that's going to be the concern. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, this is a guy, we want a field general. We want a guy that gets his teammates lined up very tough very physical kid plays with a ton of fire he's played through injury before uh this is the kind of player we're trying to bring in and i, and I would look at him and then the other guy i would look at would be tough borland you know right from our own backyard this is a guy that's been a three-year captain for the buckeyes uh constantly playing with high-speed internet mentally and he's going to have some of those athletic limitations for sure uh six foot 239 pounds so he's got more of that squatty build uh, but if we're looking for a guy that can get everybody lined up that can call the defense i don't know that there's a lot of better options for us in late day three this stage of the draft than tough borland how'd you guys feel about uh patty fisher's performance down in mobile I thought personally that he struggled. Uh, I, I didn't think that he had a great week. Um, Dane, I'm not sure if you saw anything. Did they ask him alive. to do some fish out of water stuff and things that maybe are a little unconventional? Uh, they did. And I would say that it was met with uh, with mixed results. Yeah, it, it, was, it was up and down. Um, but honestly, I thought it was the same thing for 
really a lot of these yes, linebackers, you know, agree. tough yep. quarrel and same thing. Yep. And, uh, I don't, I don't know that any of the, the day three linebackers necessarily stood out in a overly positive uh, at least the linebacker we've been talking about in terms of their senior bowl performance. I think the, well, difference, I think- the difference with Patty Fisher is that he's just got the size that these other guys don't, right? I mean, he, he's built a little bit differently than, than Borland and Britt. Yeah, I think you sold me on Patty Fisher there. I think I'm going to have him in a little bit more of a phone booth type of scheme where I don't need him to turn and run. I love his size, his play strength on contact. He obviously can, uh, you know, impose as well when he gets there with all those forced fumbles, which we just need more impact plays on the ball. He's a smart player, and he's only a bus ticket away coming from Northwestern there. All those outdoor games in the Big Ten, you can just envision him fitting in that NFC North and the green and gold. So that's a really good player there in Patty Fisher. I think if we could find him in round six, maybe even round seven, I think that's a great fit. All right, let's go to the next one here, and I I will be up uh, as Steve Kime for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, who made waves with their signing of J.J. Watt uh, early this week. Uh, The Cardinals, round two, outside wide receiver and me playing the role of Steve Kine. Let me just lay out a couple of ground rules for us. Uh, I would love the ability to be able to slide Christian Kirk inside more often in four receiver sets. Remember we led the, the NFL last year by a wide margin in four receiver sets. So I'd love the, the versatility to be able to move Kirk inside more. Um, so this would be a guy that I really like outside the numbers. Age does matter to me of our, of our 16 day two picks since I've been the general manager, 11 of them have been 21 or 22 years old. We really like younger prospects prospects. I don't need great athleticism, but I do like some guys with some giddy up. I I want some straight line speed, some verticality in this offense. And the other big thing, I do love position versatility guys that can do a lot of different things, wear some different hats. And that goes offense and defense. But since we're talking outside receiver, I do want to mention uh, that versatility. So Ben, uh, you were playing the role of the scouting staff. Dane, you were playing role of the coaching staff. Uh, Ben, you can kick things off. I have a couple names written here with a little bit more length to kind of complement uh, Christian Kirk and maybe play on the other side of DeAndre Hopkins. My question in 2021 is if we're willing to be a little bit more flexible with our scheme and not be so aerated where DeAndre Hopkins lined up left receiver 99% of the time. I just want to get a little bit more versatility with our alignments. So one of the more versatile players, round two receiver, I think that's a Mamre St. Brown country or a guy that can win in the slot. He can win on the outside, win down the field, a quick game. You want to put him in the backfield, he could do that too. Maybe even Rashad Bateman. I think round two, day two for Rashad Bateman is right in that ballpark, a guy that can win inside, outside, maybe not a blazer, maybe not the you know most imposing vertical threat, although he did lead the Big Ten in 2019 in downfield receptions. But he's a guy that knows how to get himself open, may fit the profile a bit of a more of a possession receiver. But I think Christian, uh, excuse me, uh, Kyler Murray really needs that, particularly on third down. Someone that's a technician. Another name in here that's round two ballpark, Terrace Marshall is kind of lost, in my opinion, in the pecking order of where he goes. Everybody's coveting these small gadget slot receivers or the mismatch guys with a really good size. He's kind of floating there in no man's land. But he's a really good height, weight, speed guy that can win at the catch point. I think he's an absolute blazer. He's good down in the red zone. So Amandra St. Brown, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, all kind of versatile players that can do a lot of different roles for us. I like it. All right. Well, Dane, uh, take us through those coaching staff. All right. Well, you know, this is Coach Kingsbury here. And after we move J.J. Watt to tight end, uh, <laughs> we're going to get that outside receiver. And I tell you what, Marshall's a good player. Uh, from what I've seen, he's got that buildup acceleration. He can eat cushion. Uh, you know, he, he can, and he could be that basketball big man that we want to see on the outside. So I like that. Uh, another guy that I liked 
because uh, we want speed on the outside. We want that vertical speed, field stretchers that are going to uh, draw coverage. And, you know, when we get those one-on-one op- or opportunities deep, uh, that, that's, that's something we're going to take advantage of. And Deami Brown has my attention. He averaged over 20 yards per catch uh, each of the last two years at North Carolina, five catches to 50-plus yards uh, last year as a junior. Very skilled at double moves, uh, very skilled at tracking the football deep. Uh, 10, 7, 800 meter guy in high school. Uh, is he inconsistent in spots? Sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the drops, uh, the, the, the route tree doesn't have a ton of branches, but that's okay. Uh, you know, he's only 21 years old. He's getting better. So there, there's something to this kid. So to me, and Ben, I'm going to go back to the first name you brought up, and I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown. And the reason why uh, I like this connection is that he's coming from the same branch of offense. Graham Harrell's the offensive coordinator at USC, uh, operates that air raid offense under Mike Leach. So you're going to have that same verbiage. He'll be able to step right in, and you know it, it's not a uh, it's not going to be as steep a learning curve for him. We're going to get some good intel. Uh, I feel like it'll be a nice, easy transition for him coming into our offense. So I'll make Amon well, Ross St. Brown the pick. Well, before you submit that car let me just put this out there to you if there's a run on tackles and quarterbacks in round one as we expect if a rondell moore or elijah moore is sitting here in round two are you still willing to go a modern mm. st brown over those two i know they don't really fit the profile we're looking for as those are a little bit smaller slot receivers in that christian kirk role those are two pretty good receivers if they're sitting there on day two for us. Yeah, I think I, I want more. Uh, I want guys that definitely have value for us outside the numbers. And I, I think w- with what we've seen from St. Brown getting off the jam, I do feel a little bit better about his ability to win on the outside. As with the other guys, I, I'm a little bit more, especially with more, I'm a little bit more concerned about his ability to win outside the numbers. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, this was fun. This was uh, maybe our best one. I feel like. And Dana, I do have a question for you. Did you throw yeah. on a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a twang there when you put on your coach's voice? I felt like you I'm changed. Not- you've changed personality <laughs> a little bit there. I might have practiced it last night. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> look, look it in the mirror. All yeah. right. Well, well the practice. listeners can't can't see. He spiked his hair and put on shades to fit the fit the whole roller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you could mistake me for Ryan Gosling. No, no question. You didn't yeah. have to frost your tips and everything, man. Relax. <laughs> hey, right. Don't, We're just don't, playing a role. It's only us here. Don't judge. Okay, you got to walk the walk. Well, guys, uh, this was fun. We'll be back uh, next week. We'll do it all again uh, right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. All 32 teams are always under construction. How are they being built? Let's check out the blueprint. Well, I'm excited to welcome in uh, a guy that I've known for a long time, and that is Alan Pupar, who does a great job uh, covering the Miami Dolphins. Alan, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. No, my pleasure. Hey, friend, if we can't get together in person in Indy, let's do something over the phone. Exactly right. This time of year, we would usually be uh, out in Indianapolis. We'd be enjoying a nice meal uh, somewhere. And that, of course, is not happening this year. But uh, here's hoping uh, we'll be able to get together a year from now. Uh, We are here today, though, to talk about the Miami Dolphins and uh, some of the things we've seen from them over the years when it comes to their draft strategy. Uh, Chris Greer has been the general manager now for a handful of years. He's been with the organization for a long time, uh, came up under Bill Parcells. That's, I think, I believe, if I remember right, uh, that's how he first ended up in Miami. Uh, are there three trends that kind of stand out to you when you look back uh, at Miami's draft history under Chris Greer? Um, just something for people that are creating mock drafts to just kind of keep in mind. We'll just go one at a time. What would be the first one for you? Okay, a couple of things, quick things, if I may. Um, yeah. Chris, Chris Greer's father, Bobby Greer, was a longtime yep. exec with the Patriots. That's where the Big Parcells connection came in. Chris Greer has actually preceded Bill Parcells 
uh, in Miami. Actually, he'd been there quite a while before Parcells gotcha. joined in. Uh, Chris Greer has been GM since 2016. When exactly he got pure personnel power, for lack of a better term, it's a little bit nebulous because when he was hired as GM, the Dolphins had Mike Tannenbaum as executive vice president of football ops, uh, which certainly suggests that maybe he had some say in, in player personnel decisions. And then Adam Gase, once he was hired by the Jets, uh, said in a public comment that they gave him uh, authority over the personnel in my, in Miami. So that having been said, sure. um, uh, for the past few years with Greg, Chris Greer as GM, a couple of things, one of the trends that stands out is they have pretty much focused on players from the big schools, the uh, so-called FBS schools, Yep. Uh, which was a change from 2014 when they had, I believe it was eight picks and the first two were SEC guys, uh, Jawan James and Jarvis Landry. And then everybody else in the draft, like, with the exception of one, was somebody from a smaller school. And not that they necessarily panned out. But so since then, the last few years, it's been nothing but the big schools. The the smallest school they've gone is Louisiana last year with Robert Hunt yep. in the second round. If I remember right, uh, Alan, I went through, I kind of looked back at it. He's been one of only 18 picks on days one and two that have gone outside the power five. All the other picks, 17 of the other 18 day two selections and day one selections have been from the power five schools. Yeah. And they've been very big on, on the big programs too. the, uh, your Clemson, LSU, Alabama, yep. Ohio State. So that's one thing that I think would, would stand out. Another trend, and it was kind of broken a little bit last year, but before that, they tended to go with seniors, mm. uh, college seniors. Last year, again, like I said, with their first three first-round picks, actually, all of them were underclassmen, starting with Tua Tango-Vailoa, uh, followed by Austin Jackson, and then Noah Benogany with their third uh, first-round pick. Interesting. But before that... It's been there's been a focus a little bit on seniors. Uh, beyond that, uh, and then here's a third thing I would I would throw out there as well is uh, building the lines. Got it. There's been a focus on that the past two years. Last year they took three offensive linemen in the draft, including Jackson in the first round, Hunt in round two, and Solomon Kinley, the big guard from Georgia in round four. They also took three defensive linemen, Raekwon Davis in round two. Jason Strobridge in round five and Curtis Weaver, who didn't pan out, wound up getting cut in training camp also in round five. And even the year before that, yet the first round pick was Christian Wilkins, mm, the defensive yep. tackle from Clemson. So those are three things. If you were looking for any kind of sort of trend or model that, that stand out. The other thing I know, like going back and just studying Chris Greer as well, uh, obviously you look back at, at his influences, you know, working um, obviously with his, I mean, his dad certainly had a big influence on him, but uh, he's got a little bit of Parcells influence a Nick Saban influence, uh, height, weight, speed, prototype players. I feel like that's a, a thing that has always stood out about those guys that have come from that tree um, with Saban, uh, with Parcells has kind of been, all right, we're looking for the, the bigger, faster, stronger. And then the other big thing, and um, you know, Brian Flores has talked about this so often has been the character aspect of it. And, you know, the culture builders, the, you know, those kinds of players. Uh, it seems like those things seem to be important to them. Is that, is that something uh, that you've seen being close to the team? That's fair in terms of the, the height, weight, uh, size, speed type of, of, of issue. Although they, they broke that rule with their first with last year with two, because two yep. was kind of undersized. But the, you look at the other guys, Igbenogany, while he was raw, uh, has prototypical size yep. speed ratio. Same with Austin Jackson. Like he's the guy who looks the part, yep. even though he was kind of a little bit raw. And that's what we saw in 2020. 
And in terms of the leader aspect, yeah, absolutely. That's that stands out. You look at Minka Fitzpatrick in 2018, even sure. though that didn't pan out in the end. Christian Wilkins was a team leader at Clemson as well. Uh, Tua was a guy also with great leadership qualities yep. last year as well. So, yeah, that's a that's a fair assessment as well. The uh, the Tua one. I mean, he's you mentioned he broke the the underclassmen the uh, in terms of you know they used to trend towards seniors. Uh, the other big one too with that, they almost never take the the medical red flags. The only times they've taken a medical red flag have been for quarterbacks. It was with uh, with Tua, and there was one other guy in my notes. I had to go back and look, but uh, I feel like that Tua, in, in a lot of different ways, broke a number of trends uh, for Chris Greer and, and what he's done in the past. Yeah, and the jury's still out on that one as well. If, yeah. if, we're, if we're going to be honest about it, after sure. after year one. Uh, didn't have the, the same kind of splash as either Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert did. Uh, but So we'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward. All right. So the next question for you. Are there any schools that Chris Greer or this coaching staff seem to have special connections to that you feel are, are important to take into account uh, when people are putting together a mock draft? Well, the one that jumps out is Alabama, and I don't know if that makes the Dolphins really unique as a whole All lot right. of teams gravitate, to, gravitate towards that school, but they seem to have a good relationship with Nick Saban uh, working down there. I'm, I'm guessing that comes – a through Chris Greer and three uh, two through Brian Flores and the Bill Belichick connection as well. So I, I think all things being equal, if it's completely six of one half a dozen of the other, they would lean toward uh, the Alabama player, which of course may come into the discussion of the Devonte Smith Jamar Chase debate. Uh, though I'm not convinced that it necessarily is six of one half a dozen. Mm. type of situation there but I, I think all things being equal that would be a school that they would tend to lean to and then again as I mentioned before the other ones uh, are the obvious ones the big schools they also have a couple of new coaches new from a year ago who came directly from from colleges uh Gerald Alexander their secondary coach came from Cal yep that having been said they could have used a safety last year and Ashton Davis was there sitting in the third round I don't remember if they picked Brandon Jones before or after Ashton Davis was off the board. I believe it was after. Uh, so how much of a pull that has, who knows? They also hired Anthony Campanelli as linebackers coach last year after he coached at Michigan. Michigan had a couple of linebackers in the draft last year. Dolphins didn't go with either one of them. One of them, uh, uh, Josh Uchi, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, wound up with New England. Yep. So those would be logically – teams that the Dolphins would gravitate to again in the case of everything else being equal because of the familiarity with the, the, those coaches. Yep. And as I've said numerous times on the show, I feel like that, the, that familiarity is going to be a play a big part uh, in this upcoming draft. Um, let's talk about this upcoming draft. Now, what do you feel are three big needs for this Miami Dolphins team as we head into uh, the month of March? If we're going to be honest, as much progress as they made last year, going from 5'11 to 10 and 6, their roster is still not a finished product. They could use help just about anywhere on the roster, with the only exceptions being cornerback, unless this, the Xavier Howard situation with his contract goes awry. Okay. And, and tight end, unless they, they're staring at Kyle Pitts, not at three, but maybe a little bit later on in the first round, hmm. and he's available, and he's such a unique talent, maybe not even a pure tight end that's that they go there. But outside of that, um, they could use help anywhere. If, if you are asking me to prioritize the top three, uh, I think they could use like a pure number one running back, which they don't have. They have a lot of solid, decent, complimentary guys like Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, 
Patrick Laird's a good special teams player. Um, yep. Not much of a contributor on offense. So that's one of them. I know wide receivers out there. Uh, as I wrote this week, their wide receiver core is not nearly as poor and decrepit as everybody makes it out to be, but they don't have a pure number one guy if they can't rely on Devontae Parker to stay healthy a whole year, which he's done once in his career, and that was in 2019. Hmm. Uh, the offensive line certainly still could do some reinforcements. They did draft the three guys last year, and all three of them were starters by the end of the year. Yep. But there were a lot of growing pains, and it's still a work in progress. They could use another edge rusher, one who, a guy who can win on one of matchups. Emmanuel Lagba led the team in sacks last year with nine, but he had one in the final seven games. Mm. And a lot of his sacks were scheme-based, uh, including his most famous one of all year was the one – well, the one the, the most famous one all year was a 28-yard sack of Joe Flacco. Right. He, had an, he had another one against the Rams that caused a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. But if you look at the replay, basically the Rams kind of moved their protection, slid their protection to the left, and basically Ogba came in untouched. With a with a free run that Jared Goff and nailed them from the blind side, um, so that's clearly a need. They could use another uh, off the ball linebacker to complement Jerome Baker, who had a really good year last year, but they're very thin at that spot. And they could use a safety, hmm. particularly because Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe have the kind of cap numbers that would make them susceptible to being cap casualties this season. All right, so a, a lot of different needs there that you've kind of highlighted potentially, uh, as you said at the top. I mean, they, they could go a number of different directions. So uh, the next question I always ask, everyone always talks about the discussion of need versus best player available. When you look uh, at this front office, you look at this coaching staff, just how they've built the roster, how do you feel that they will approach this upcoming draft when it comes to need versus best player available? What has been uh, their history in terms of how you've seen it? Uh, it's BPA. Uh, and. And, and the one pick that really highlights that is the Igbenogany pick last year at number 30 after they traded down from 26 with the Packers. The Dolphins, even heading into last year, into the last draft, I should say, were pretty set at cornerback after signing Byron Jones in free agency right. to complement, to uh, to play opposite Xavier Howard, and they had Nick Needham as an up-and-coming guy. So cornerback clearly was down down the line in terms of priorities last year and that's who they took because they really liked the guy's upside so uh, i i think there's your answer right there and i think that would apply at every position which is why because technically they don't need a tight end because they have mike gesicki durham Smythe, and adam shaheen where they got from the bears last year it's a solid group it's, there's no travis kelsey or darren waller in the group but it's a solid group particularly with gesicki emerging but if Kyle Pitts is staring at them at a spot where they feel he's the best guy to take, they'll take him. So I always wrap this up by kind of bringing up, all right, who are some players that are being mocked to the Dolphins right now that make sense and who are some guys that don't make sense? I guess before we get there, I, I want to I ask you this question. You brought up the Jamar Chase versus Devontae Smith debate. It's a debate that Eagles fans and, and media surrounding the Eagles are, are having that same debate right now. How do you feel that, the, that Miami will look at this? Because me looking at it, all the stuff that you kind of laid out, I feel like you could make an argument. You could see a situation where, oh, yeah, they would lean towards Smith or where they would lean towards Chase. Yeah, and that's a tough one to tell. And and getting information and nuggets on, on how the Dolphins are thinking with this new regime is close to impossible. <laughs> um, I know Brian Flores coached the senior bowl, and he made some comments about Devontae Smith that had some people immediately going, well, that's that's who they're picking. That's the pick, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you've been in this business long enough to know that if, if I ask you, Coach Flo, what do you think about Devontae Smith? Any concern about his size? What is he going to say? Right. Is he really, really going to say, 
yeah, he's a little bit too thin for my taste, and I, I think we might steer away. No, he's going to say it hasn't stopped him from producing big time at Alabama. He's a, he's a good player. A good player is a good player. That having said, he certainly doesn't meet the criteria if we're going by the Parcellian's yep. uh, philosophy of height-size ratio. He's awfully thin. Yep. And he's, he's awfully thin for – especially if the Dolphins pick a wide receiver at number three, which I personally have a hard time seeing. Uh, I'm tempted to believe they're going to try to trade. They're going to try everything in their power to trade down to pick up a premium pick, drop down to a six, seven, eight spot. Because at that point, they still can get, in my mind, likely either Chase Smith or Jalen Waddell, who would fill a major need for that one uh, big-time playmaker in their wide receiver core. So if you're going to ask me between those two, I think Jamar Chase fits more of the mold. I do, however, wonder how much of an issue it's going to be to them. And based on everything that you can take from how they run their program and their philosophy – I think the fact that Jamar Chase didn't play in 2020 yep. might be some cause for concern. Then again, though, there, there are a couple of guys who have been mocked to them who fit in the same category, and I'm talking about Penesuel, also yep. didn't play in 2020. Micah Parsons also didn't play in 2020. Um, I think ideally the Dolphins would prefer having somebody who played last year, whether that's enough to sway them away from a potential pick, that I don't know. Yeah. And the other, I mean, that's the other thing you mentioned, Jalen Waddle. I feel like he's a guy, uh, you know, you talk about the height, weight, speed element. I mean, just for, in terms of elite traits, I mean, Jalen Waddle has elite traits. I kind of wonder how he would factor in. If you, when we talk about Jamar chase versus Devante, what about Devante versus Jalen Waddle and how those two, I, it's a really, really interesting discussion when it comes to that team. No, no question. And it, it, it might become, what do you prefer? And how big is your concern about Devontae Smith? A durability in, in the NFL, B his ability to get off the line of scrimmage. Uh, if opposing defenses decide to stick a guy in his face right at the line, uh, yeah. And I and I understand that the that's the, the the notion that hey, college teams tried to do that, it didn't work. While well, the NFL is a different animal. Yep. Okay. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, so I will ask you this now we've talked about a bunch of guys. Is there anybody else that you're like, all right, this, this guy makes a lot of sense or the other, the inverse, the, Hey, this, this guy doesn't make a lot of sense for this Miami Dolphins team. Are we talking, well, here's the thing. The Dolphins have three and 18. Are we, are we focusing strictly on three right now? <laughs> Let's talk. I think we could, we could talk both. Cause I, I think it's interesting. And we obviously look and they have the 18th pick. That's a big pick. Uh, yeah, a big pick. Uh, what, what do you think makes sense there uh, when you talk about 18? That's a good one. To me, I, I think, especially if they go offense with the number three pick or seven or eight, whatever they wind up doing, I think the, I think this notion that the defense is there because they were sixth in the NFL in points allowed last year, I, I don't think that's quite on the ball. I mean, mm. they were 20th in terms of yards allowed. Uh, they were able to keep the points down because they were able to come up with the timely turnovers. But is that something that's sustainable year after year after year? I'm not sure. I don't think you would call a Dolphin defense dominant last year and it was exposed in certain games for example they had no answers for kc they had no answers for buffalo of course a lot of defenses didn't have answers for those two teams right but the fact remains if you want to be a championship caliber defense you have to be able to do better than the dolphins did over there so i do think very possibly uh, a defensive player could be in play at number 18 whether it be micah parsons if he falls all the way down there mm. um I, I like Zayvon Collins an awful lot. I don't know if 18 might be a little bit too rich for his for my taste at 18 or for the Dolphins' taste. I don't I don't know that he's been tapped to go quite that high, but he's somebody who's got the kind of traits 
that you like. Uh, JOK from Notre Dame is another very, very intriguing right. guy. Particularly if you remember what Brian Flores wanted to do with Minka Fitzpatrick in 2019 before Minka balked and the whole thing went sideways to the point where they wound up trading him. Well, he wanted to use Minka as a type of guy that they could plug in in a whole lot of different places in mm. the back end. That's kind of what JOK, JOK yes. is. Yep, no doubt. So, so he's been mucked quite a bit to the Dolphins, and I certainly could see him uh, being a fit there and, and Flores using him in the role he wanted to use Minka in. And I feel like if you're talking about the Zayvon Collins versus JOK, uh, you know, Owusu Kormo coming from that big school, when we talked about the, the, the big school element of it, uh, you know, that, that might be enough to tip the scales there. Running back, late in round, do you feel like that's a team that would take a, a first-round running back? No. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no, not, not, not at all. And I, and I, see, I see Najee Harris being mocked to the Dolphins at 18. I don't see it. Again, I'm going to go back to the New England blueprint because let's not kid ourselves, that's what the Dolphins have been following. Yep. Uh, they don't necessarily like to call themselves Patriots South, but that's kind of what they've been doing. And the model in New England, been running back by committee for the most part. Mm. They did take Sonny Michelle in the first round one time, I believe. He might have been 31, 31st pick or something. I believe it was very, very late in the first round. Yep. I don't think it's a necessarily a wise allocation of assets because you can get a guy in the second round who might be not quite Najee Harris, but for example, if Javante Williams is there at 36 or 50, I think he fits the bill, and then you can devote your resources at 18 on somebody else. Yep. Yeah, it's a, a really fun team to be able to study, and you've got a, a decent sample size to be able to work with. Alan, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journeys to the Draft podcast. Talk about Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, right back at you, and hope we get to do this in person next year. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. I well, hope you guys enjoyed that segment there with Alan, who is uh, who does great work covering the Miami Dolphins. So uh, let's get into our draft mailbag. And once again, the best way to throw us your support. If you love this show, if you listen every single week, I would love it if you could just go on, throw us your support. Just say thank you by jumping on, leaving a rating, leaving a comment. And by the way, this comment, I believe, is the last one in the queue. So if you jump on Apple Podcasts right now and leave a question or a mock draft, whatever it is, We'll get to it on the very next show. So we're going to hit on this one. It's Valhalla24. Laid out, laid out a few teams here. Said the Las Vegas Raiders, Denver Broncos, Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, 49ers. And he laid all those teams out with the records from 19 and then the records from 2020. And he said, what do all these teams have in common? Outside of the losing records, from the, the, all the records got worse. But he said, all of those teams drafted a wide receiver in the first round last year. I understand that there are a lot of outside factors with those teams, but why do people keep saying that the Eagles and other squads should draft another wide receiver when wide receivers do not equal wins? And uh, Val, that's a great question. And so it's a really interesting debate. And really smart people on both sides would argue either way on that. You could look at it and say, hey, look, you look around at some of the top receivers in the NFL. You can find guys on day two. You can go and find players uh, that can make impacts. But then you also look at who the elites are at the position. There are a lot of guys that w- ended up going in the first round, right? I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, certainly DeAndre Hopkins, you look at Julio Jones, you look at uh, a bunch of those players, they ended up going on round one in round one. So I think ultimately... Look, it's it's as you mentioned. There are a lot of outside factors, and and this is kind of a, a weird year in that we saw so many teams use a first round pick on receiver 
a year ago in what was universally accepted to be an outstanding draft class for wide receivers. And then you look here at this one and you say, all right, well, this is also another really good season uh, to have to want and an, a receiver. So look, when you look at the top players, and I already mentioned, you look at Julio Jones, you look at DeAndre Hopkins, you look at Mike Evans, right? A lot of these guys were going in round one, Odell Beckham Jr., right? These guys were first round draft picks. Then you had some guys that fell to day two. You had DK Metcalf and you know Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen. Those guys fell to the second day, and then some guys let, uh, you know fell into the into the third day of the draft as well. Stephon Diggs and Tyree Kill. Uh, you can go down the list. There's there's guys that are selected up and down the draft board at the wide receiver position. So look, number one, it's a passing league, right? You have to score points to be able to have sustained success in today's NFL. And so the best way to do that, through the passing game, try and find as many pass-catching weapons as possible. And I say pass-catching weapons because I'll throw in the elite tight ends uh, into that discussion as well. We've talked about that uh, in regards to Kyle Pitts. But I think when you look at the top receivers every year in the draft, to me, if you're talking about a guy in the first round, he has got to be a, the kind of player where you're looking at him and saying, not only can he be the top pass-catching target for most teams in the NFL, but he's going to be elite in a couple of areas, right? So he's going to have outstanding athleticism and or speed. He's going to have outstanding size. He's going to have outstanding hands and ball skills, separation skill, and then competitiveness. You've got to be elite in a couple of those areas. If you're not, well, then we can find you. We can find that guy a little bit later in the draft. If you start making exceptions at a lot of those different areas and say, oh, well, he's solid here, he's solid there, he's solid there, you're not going to reach that level where you're going to say, oh, well, this guy was worth taking in round one, right? If you, if you look, if the, if the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah, they got Tyree Kill in round five, or if you want to look at, uh, you know, the Allen Robinson for, for the Chicago Bears previously for the Jacksonville Jaguars, they got him in round two. Adam Thielen in Minnesota, right? When you look at those guys, they were acquired later in the draft than round one, which is fine. You could say, oh, well, we can wait on those guys. But if, if you know, if we went back to the time machine and say, hey, Allen Robinson is going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL, he would have been a first-round pick and no one would blink an eye that he would have been worth that first-round selection, right? Because he is one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I, I, it's a, a really fun discussion, and it's one that you could, again, there's good arguments on both sides. To me, it comes down to every single team scenario, how they're going to use these receivers, what that offense already looks like in terms of the weapons that they already have available. And you have to also keep in mind, at wide receiver, it's not about year one because it's very – It's I know guys will come in. You're seeing more guys now that can come in and produce. But time and time again, we have seen that you have to give those guys, especially at wide receiver, year two, year three especially. That's always the big year for wide receivers is looking what they're able to do in their third year in the league. Let this kind of develop. Let this play out a little bit uh, before we say, oh, you know, all those teams that took a first-round receiver uh, in 2019 or in 2020 – they made a huge mistake. So uh, it's a great conversation, and Val, I'm so glad uh, that you brought it up because it's a it's a really fun one. And one that, look, I'm telling you, everybody's having that conversation around the NFL. There are, there are conversations in every building having those conversations, having those arguments about wide receiver value, uh, whether it's free agency or in the NFL draft. But no one will argue the importance of a wide receiver uh, in you know in their offense and the structure of how they do things in the passing game. So uh, good stuff this week. Great question there um, from Val, but also great stuff from Alan Pupar. Great stuff from Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. We're going to be back here in a couple days. We've got a great segment lined up with Greg Cosell. We'll have another mock draft with Ben. We've got another great guest to join us here later this week on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later this week.
In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.